so young, I didn't know what I was doing. We're all like that on my father's side. By the way, how is your father's side? Oh, it's much better, thanks. And yours? Say, how many drinks have you had? This will make six martinis. All right. Will you bring me five more martinis? Leo, line them right up here. Yes, ma'am. You are listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. The following podcast contains adult language, adult situations, and spoilers for the movies discussed occur often. You've been warned. Now, take it away, Dr. Rausch. They must be destroyed on sight. It is They Must Be Destroyed on Site, episode 217, and I'm your host, Lee. I don't care. It's just that I'm used to you, Russell, and I'm joined by my co-host, Daniel. It's the nicest dinner I ever listened to. Harper, how you doing, sir? <laughs> I'm doing well. Listen, I just finished listening to my dinner and uh, enjoyed it. Mm. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, we got an interesting one this time. We're going to be looking at the first in the... Uh, Fairly long running, although there's you know there's only like six movies in the series, but fairly long running uh, Thin Man series. So we're gonna be looking at the first film in that from 1934. But before we get into that, uh, we have a couple comments to get through here first. Uh, so on YouTube, on our Invisible Man episode, Shadow Man four seven one zero says, "Big Claude Rains fan here. I've never seen the whole film." But I plan on going back and watching it on YouTube. It's interesting how much of H.G. Wells' work got adapted in the 1930s. He was kind of the guy, wasn't he? He was kind of like, yeah. he was kind of the Ray Bradbury of that first like 30 years of the, that century, kind of. Well, he was he was kind of the big guy. I mean, this is pre mm. um, you know Asimov, Heinlein, Clark only get started in the late 30s and early 40s. Um, astounding science fiction was founded in 1926, which kind of invents the sort of the pulp sci-fi story. Mm-hmm. And um, prior to that, I mean, really, you were just talking about like kind of like the scientific romances and, you know, kind of the like kind of early science fiction of it's either Jules Verne or H.G. Wells. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, they both got adaptations, uh, you know, uh, you know, Flight to the Moon is obviously uh, heavily inspired by Jules Verne, although I don't think it's officially credited as, a, as an adaptation. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, it makes sense that like as the 30s kind of come along, we're starting to see kind of some you know, some special effects that they're going to do some H.G. Wells stuff, you know, so, yeah. Yeah. 
uh, on our Facebook group. Uh, they must be destroyed on site on Facebook. Uh, feel free to join up to that. Philip A. Robod says, man, I am really looking forward to this one. I love the Thin Man series. Well, at least the first three. Hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. Because uh, after watching this one, I'm definitely watching the rest of them. Yeah, we'll get into we'll get to it, but mm -hmm. I, know I would love to watch the rest of them for sure. I really want to read the Dashiell Hammett novel as well. That too, yeah. I want to see how much has changed. Like, yeah, is like because when I was doing research on this, I didn't really see any sort of um, indication that they like jacked up the comedy any. Like, right. So it makes me wonder, like, how and much of that think, is in the And we don't think of Hammett as a as a comedic writer, right? And we don't mm -hmm. think of him as someone who is writing, like, high society stuff as well. So, you know, you kind of get the, you know, I don't know, it's interesting. Like, but maybe, it, but maybe it really is. Maybe he had talents that we don't know of if we only know the Continental Op and uh, the Maltese Falcon. Yeah. yeah, but, I mean, at the same time, Hammett, very snappy dialogue in, 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 in the stuff I have read of his. So I could kind of see him doing this, like, and maybe it was just like a one-off kind of thing where it's like, well, that didn't sell many copies. Uh, back to the fucking <laughs> tough talking, fucking, yeah. you know, punch him in the face, detective shit. Yeah, I mean, apparently he based it on his experiences, like working for the Pinkertons, and so right. I can imagine that being, you know, like, oh, I retired from the Pinkertons and I married like sexy rich girl. Like, mm -hmm. it's this fantasy life of, you know, I don't have to beat up poor people and unionists anymore. I can get, just go fuck the heiress and drink all the time and uh, solve crimes in my spare time. So maybe this is uh, this is kind of his self-insert fanfic. Is, well, yeah, uh, I mean, even yeah. the uh, even the, the significant other here is is based on a girlfriend that he was, was you know, had a, like an on and off again, like sort of tumultuous relationship with or whatever, I guess. So... Uh, could be could be a lot of could be a lot of uh, reality to this. Um, yeah, and then uh, this guy, probably a Twitter troll of some sort, uh, Jack Graham Graham. I don't Graham Graham. Don't I don't, yeah. I don't uh, recognize the name. It says every episode of They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. Daniel, this movie is sexist. Lee, yeah, but did you see that redhead? She was really fucking hot. Daniel agreed. Man, Rural we can really just—we're—we're we're done. The the we're podcast done. is over. There's no. You, you, you just summarized he, every episode. He flamed us like to. No, I mean he just completely summarized. Like we do he nothing did. about that. Yeah. Really. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, fuck you, Jack. <laughs> for getting for breaking us down to our base elements. Yeah. And, uh, and putting it on Twitter like that. And by right. base elements meaning, uh, you know, being horny for the women that we see in these movies, which mm -hmm. certainly does not apply to this movie at all. No, not at all. <laughs> Fuck, <laughs> the old hags in this movie. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah, no. Uh, well, we, we will get into it. And um, we're going to do that after this uh, little commercial break with a podcast promo and some music. And uh, we'll be right back after that. How about throwing a little beach party for yourself and letting these people to get to know you oh so better? Hey kids, it's me, your good friend Alistair, here to tell you about a wonderful movie podcast called Get Soft with Dr. Snuggles. What happens is, every two weeks, the love of my life, Siobhan, and I are joined by a cast of friends, family, internet weirdos, and special guests to guide you through the wild and woolly world of erotic thrillers and softcore films. Everything from alien abduction, intimate secrets, to Zarita, Passions Avenger, and all points in between. Check it out now on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Is that horrid man talking about?
All right, The Thin Man from 1934. Uh, this is directed by W.S. Van Dyke, which stands for Woodbridge Strong Van Dyke, who was known as One Take Woody uh, in, in his career, uh, known for quick and economical shoots. He does have some notable films, and uh, just like he, he did a shit ton of stuff. Uh, Daredevil Jack from 1920, uh, Tarzan the Ape Man from 1932. He also did After the Thin Man and Shadow of the Thin Man, but he died fairly early on, diagnosed with heart disease and cancer. He committed suicide in 1943. So uh, unfortunate. One, one, actually, one of the few people like we, we this is a sort of a recurring like uh, dark uh, gallows humor joke here about how how many people die so early in these films. He's pretty much the only one in in this whole like cast and crew kind of thing that kind of did. Everyone else fairly long lived and had long careers. So, uh, yeah, yeah. This is written by uh, Albert Hackett, who also uh, went on to do After the Thin Man, Another Thin Man. He also wrote The Virginian and It's a Wonderful Life, Father of the Bride, and The Diary of Anne Frank. So, uh, <laughs> pretty good career. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> yeah. And then we have uh, Francis uh, Goodrich, who was married to Albert Hackett for a time and actually basically contributed to everything he wrote for the, for the most part. If you look at their, uh, their IMDb's, they pretty much like just sync up perfectly. Uh, and of course, this is based on the original story by Dashiell Hammett to some guy. Some douchebag. Yeah. Uh, this is starring uh, William Powell as Nick Charles. Uh, he did 14 films with Myrna Loy, the co-star in this, including the six Thin Man films, nominated for three Best Actor Awards for The Thin Man, My Man Godfrey, and Life with Father. And I was going to get into like the careers of, of a lot of these people in the cast, but then I was looking at it, and it's like not only are they mostly long-lived, they all had like careers that spanned like at least 20 to 30 years, if not more. Yep. And I was like, I can't pick the fucking films. I, I just can't do it. Like Murder Loy, it's like, oh, here's the film that she was in with William Powell. So yeah, it's, it's exactly the same as in William Powell's uh, credits for the most part. You know, as far as notable films go. So I, I was looking at, it, I was like, we could just do a whole side podcast strictly on the films of William Powell or the films of Murder Loy or them together or anyone else in this cast for the most part. So. Yeah, there's just a lot of shit to dig through here. Um, Maureen O'Sullivan as Dorothy Wynott, uh probably better known as, although she had a super long career too, better known as mother of the actress uh, Mia Farrow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nat Pendleton. And she did is, a bunch of uh, the Tarzan movies with Johnny Weissmuller. Right, right. Yeah. Nat Pendleton is uh, Detective Guild, or Lieutenant Guild, I think. Uh, he was an Olympic wrestler for the USA. He won silver in the Olympics. And, wow. Yeah. Mina Gombel is Mimi uh, Wynette Jorgensen. Porter Hall is McCulley. Henry Wadsworth is Tommy. Henry uh, William Henry as Gilbert Wynette, who's the uh, nerdy, weird, into like bookish dead bodies and all kinds of other weird shit <laughs> staring at people weirdly and all kinds of stuff. Interesting little character in this. Uh, Harold Huber as Nunheim. Cesar Romero, just some guy uh, you might have heard of as uh, Chris Jorgensen. Uh, of course, Joker in the Batman television series uh, from the 60s. Also notable here because we've uh, sort of talked about him before. He took over as the Cisco Kid from uh, Warner Baxter, who uh, we covered in Old Arizona, uh, he, he he was like first his sidekick in one of the films, and then like just took over the the total role for a few films. Uh, Natalie Moorhead as Julia Wolf, Edward Brophy as Morelli, Edward Ellis as Clyde uh, Wynett, who we also talked about in I Am a Fugitive from a Chain Gang, and uh, Cyril Thornton as Tanner. And we have a synopsis here. After a four-year absence, one-time detective Nick Charles returns to New York with his new wife, Nora, and their dog, Asta. Nick reconnects with many of his old cronies, several of whom are centric characters, to say the least. He's also approached by Dorothy Wynott, whose inventor father, Clyde Wynott, is suspected of murdering her father's mistress, his former secretary. 
Her father had left on a planned trip some months before, and she has no contact with him. Nick isn't all that keen on resuming his former former profession, but egged on by his wife, Nora, who thinks this is all very exciting, he agrees to help out. He solves the case, announcing the identity of the killer at a dinner party for all the suspects. Uh, and that was done by Gary KMCD. And uh, yeah, that's a nice little synopsis there. Yeah. Um, doesn't give too much away, so you get into this movie and you get kind of blown away by a lot of shit. At least you should, I think. But we'll we'll throw over to you here first, Daniel. Um, I assume this is your first time seeing this. Yeah, right? first time, first time watch. I had uh, I've been familiar with kind of the general like Nick and Nora kind of meme for a while. Mm-hmm. Always wanted to watch these and kind of made the excuse to do it for this podcast. So, yeah, overall, uh, this is so much fun. Like mm-hmm. this is just. You know, for for all the like kind of darker stuff that like 2020 has brought into all of our lives and for all the darker films that we've kind of discussed and for all the like stuff that could be considered, you know, fairly dark in the film itself. Yeah. This is just a jolt of fun energy, you know, like there are some there is, you know, we could talk about some of the dodgy politics of like, I married a socialite and now Mm. life is good, you know, like. But ultimately, that's not what the film is about. The film is just kind of about, like, let's have a doting couple sit and solve crimes together. Yep. And my understanding is that as the films move forward, it begins. It becomes much more of like a, a twofer, you know? Like, they start to work mm-hmm. together a lot more. Um, one thing that did surprise me just kind of watching it was, like, I kind of expected Nora to be a lot more involved in the sort of, like, the the crime solving process and she's really not like she's really kind of the wife where like they're hanging out they're doing like the fun time they're drinking a lot they're probably fucking a whole lot Mm -hmm. it's great but she's really kind of off to the side whenever all the kind of the criminology stuff happens but um but yeah no it's it's a really delightful film and uh, everybody should see it Yeah, no, this is just, you know, spoilers right ahead of everything. This is going on my best of list for this year, I think. Like, no no doubt. Uh, I enjoyed the fuck out of this. I didn't even expect to enjoy it this much. I've I've heard of this series for a long time. Uh, I always had, like, a weird image in my head of it being maybe a bit more serious or something like that. But, you know, I mean, it does have serious moments, but I think it's one of those films that really balances the comedy with, like, the... uh, proto-noir or just noir elements or whatever, right, that are more serious. I love the dynamic between these two, uh, William Powell and, and Myrna Loy. Yeah, sure, there there is there is a weird element there. It's like, oh, so he, you know, he, he married a rich girl and made good, and, you know, there there is a bit of a political slant to that that's not too keen. But at the same time, it's, I would love to, like, I spent, like, 20 years working, like, dead-end jobs or being a fucking detective, which, you know, and a detective job actually isn't glamorous at all. It's actually pretty no. tedious. And then all of a sudden, you, you fall in love with this wealthy socialite, and you make good. And now you're just, you just have the, you just go places and drink. That's all you do. Yeah. You just, you, you go places, you hang out with your wife, who fucking adores you. You adore her. You get along. And aren't isn't that a like a great portrayal of a husband and wife? Like, yeah, it really, like you never see this. I I mm-hmm. think that's really like so much of the appeal here. A, it's the performances, and I mean, you know, the writing and all the like, all the stuff that we expect to be here for a film of this caliber. But just the idea of it's a husband and wife who like dote on each other, who love each other, yeah. who are clearly fucking all the time, who are mm-hmm. just clearly fucking constantly, who drink like fish. Like I, the stereotype of this, of this film series is, oh yeah, they're just sloshed to the whole movie the entire mm-hmm. time. And like, you go in expecting that and then you watch it and you're like, this is even more than I thought it was going to be. Like they are like, you do not see these people without a drink in their hands. It's just not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, he literally, that. he literally like pours her a drink and then she leaves the room and he drinks her drink. Yeah, and then sets it back down. It's like Jesus Christ, guys. Yeah, no, she was like, "Holy fuck!" Yeah, at the party, he's like, "So, what drink were you having?" Oh, mine was a rye. He picks up her drink, slugs it down. Oh, yeah, it was, and he like pours her a new one. And it's fucking uh, the even the introduction, uh, especially like you know William Powell's in the fucking bar, and he's he's 
instructing the the bartenders on how you're you know you should uh, mix your drinks with the music or some shit like that you know <laughs> it's like whatever uh, but then fucking Myrna Loy comes in um, with the dog and uh, I think we'll get to the dog here in a little while but uh, she comes in with the fucking dog and she, he's already like six martinis in or something like that you know like he's already fucking he's, he's having a good time <laughs> he's, he's having his six martini she's having her first and then she says to the the waiter to the to the uh, the guy she's like bring me five more yeah like right <laughs> and she's just gonna sit and like chug five just to catch up with him and it's yeah. like oh Oh, it's that it's that kind of movie. Okay, I get it. The thing I love about the relationship is they both obviously like just know each other inside and out. Yeah. There's never there's never any actual the sort of tension you would see in a film like this during this time where it's like, oh, she catches him in a room with another girl and she's instantly suspicious that he's fucking her or something like that, right? She they make a joke out of it. Like she'll right. she'll make a snappy remark. They'll make a snappy comeback. They'll make faces at each, at each other, and it's like they they knew the whole time. It's like, yeah, they're, that's just their that's just the way they speak to each other. Like yeah. they just make snappy remarks. They make faces at each other. They make fucking faces at each other through the fucking phone, and you can almost <laughs> feel like they they see those yeah. faces. You know, no, it, it it does feel like a very like lived in, well worn, like mm. loving marriage. Like you know, my wife and I do this shit. You know, like it's yeah, really, yeah. Really fine. No, Myrna Loy, like you cannot not love her when she does mm-hmm. that that little thing with her lips, that little like pursed lip thing, which she yep. uh yeah, it's it's completely adorable. And uh yeah, no, it was uh it's delightful. Going back, you know how like politically weird it is a little bit that it's like, oh, these are rich people doing this shit. It's, these are the like kind of non-malicious rich people. Right. You 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 would hope like people with money would be, you know, if they came into money or whatever kind of thing. Just I mean, it, it is kind of like, oh, they're doing this for a lark because she kind of basically pushes him into it because he's obviously told her all the stories of being a detective, right? And she's like, right. well, I'm I'm really interested in knowing what that's like when this murder thing comes comes along and this you know this disappearance and shit. She's like, well, what, you should take up that case. He doesn't even want to do it. He's just like, he's he, like, come on, I have I have scotch to drink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> come on, wife. Wouldn't you much rather I eat you out? No, no, no. Go solve the crime, then you can come eat me out. It's fine. Yeah. You know, like like you know. she's. It feels like she's kind of getting a little horny for it. Like the yeah, idea no, of like definitely. seeing seeing my man do do what he used seeing, to do. Seeing you know? my man do some Agatha Christie shit. That's what we need. <laughs> That's what we need. I think he really sets up the whole like I'm gonna reveal the killer at a big dinner thing yeah. where everybody's in the room i think he literally did did that just to get just to turn her on i think that's the whole that's reason. yeah that's their sex game like that's... yeah <laughs> it's like it's like oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah you know mm-hmm. i get the christy hero right here let's go bone that's i mean the... they they make a joke of it at the end of the film where they're in the train with the other couple and it's god i wish they'd i'm glad they finally fucking stopped talking and that couple goes the fuck and then, you know, uh, the Charleses are, are back in their place. And it's like, God, I'm, I'm glad you finally shut the fuck up so we can fuck. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I mean, we're, I mean this is about... technically pre-code as well. This was mm-hmm. released just before the end of the of the pre-code era. It so, is, yeah. it is, you know, to use the crude ex- expression, a, a cut hair's length away from the code coming yes. in yeah. and yeah and we're, we're talking about like all the comedic stuff and all that shit and like at the same time sort of at the core of this there's still a really good agatha christie style kind of like yeah. murder mystery thing going on here with the sort of detective noir elements around it and a shit ton of red herrings like they they throw so many characters at you in this film i actually had oh, yeah. some trouble keeping up with them for a while i was confused and thought caesar romero's character was actually the uh, you know potential husband boyfriend or whatever of the daughter who you know uh we we meet at the first there who you know she's the daughter of uh the the scientist dude or whatever uh that edward alice plays right uh, I mean, I'll be honest here. I did not spend a lot of time tracking the plot here. I enjoyed this on a purely superficial level um, and just kind of like went with the flow on it. But I do not have any like functional knowledge of the actual details of the crime. 
I need to watch this another time or two. I just enjoyed it on the surface level for this viewing. So I do apologize. I'm interested in hearing your thoughts about the crime, but I have no <laughs> thoughts of my own. <laughs> and, that, and I mean, that's the thing. I, I kind of did that to a degree as well, because it's like, I'm going to be watching this again. Like, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm probably going to be buying this and, and, and keeping it in my collection. Yeah, I think I'm going to buy like the box set of all of them. Mm -hmm. And just, you know, so I, I do think we should just add them all to the list. And when we get there, we'll watch them all yeah sounds good yeah but i mean i i think it does a really good sort of murder mystery thing here uh it actually gives away like the central clue to the murder mystery right at the beginning of the film and then and then it all comes in in the revelation at the end at the sort of dinner party that they set up and i think it's brilliantly done because it's one of those things where you would just the whole opening you you would miss it it's just such a small detail that is just totally washed over but it's brilliantly kind of woven in and uh, actually i i just really like that the whole opening like gives you all these characters and you're kind of thinking okay these are our main, main characters right this is this is what we're going to be following right it's like no this is like four months or something before the actual plot of the film starts before you actually get introduced to william powell and myrna loy and all that like right. you, you get this whole sort of prologue basically of uh, of the of the uh, thing and you almost want to follow that story. Like, I, I kind of want to see, like, what Edward Ellis does. Because, you know, he's, he's got this, like, sort of trophy secretary girlfriend thing that he's he's, he's involved with. You, you, you hear he's divorced. <laughs> As we get to the reveal of the main plot of the story, you kind of, <laughs> you realize that he's, his his uh, secretary slash girlfriend looks exactly like his fucking ex-wife. <laughs> which... <laughs> And and both of them are just as money grubbing. So he's just a guy who makes bad choices and fucking women, apparently. Like uh, I mean, you know, he seemed to have be having a good time at least. So you know, you can't can't complain too hard. But mm. you know, yeah, and it, I mean, it, it gives you so many red herrings. I mean, because we we learn that he's kind of been involved in shady shit. He's uh, his secretary girlfriend's involved with a gangster. He's involved with like shady people. He had an enemy at one point. That's kind of a red herring. And I think it's just done really well. Like there's so many characters, but as the movie goes along, it becomes a little less confusing. You kind of get where everyone's going, but everyone kind of has like a weird motive at the same time. And, and so it, it, it does a real good job with the red herrings. They don't feel like a uh, throwaway red herrings like they don't right. feel like the doesn't feel like the movie's just throwing them there to to fuck with you and, and and not think about it like they they give they give good reason for everything like the the, the fucking weird son gilbert uh the the guy with glasses who's obsessed with you know could, could i see the dead body you know like he talks <laughs> right. to the cops the cop he's talking to the fucking cop he's like uh I'd really like to go downtown with you guys and see the fucking body. And maybe I could gather something from it, you know, with my knowledge of psychosis and all this other shit. And the cops like, Oh yeah, no, no, you just stay here. And we'll, we'll send it up to you. You know, we'll, we'll, <laughs> right. We'll, you know, it's like, Jesus Christ, let's get the fuck away from this ghoul. And he's got some weird, like um, complex of his mother where he's like, maybe a little too into her. They don't go too deep into it, but yeah, even <laughs> even in the pre code era, there there were limits they can't cross necessarily, right? Yeah, mm. no, and and despite like kind of that dark, I mean, you know, like I, some of the plot details are reminding me a little bit of like L.A. Confidential, you know, with sort of the like yeah. the body underneath the the house and all that sort of thing, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, which is a fucking dark movie. I mean, like again, yeah. like there, it's some really like dark shit here. But the tone of the movie really like works to its advantage. So it it allows us to sort of like present these details to kind of bring it in. But because it's sort of like filtered through this kind of breezy comedy, mystery, romantic movie kind of exterior, where we don't um, we don't dwell on it at all. I mean, it does remind me a lot of you know some of those kind of USA Network comedy mystery shows like monk and psych and a lot of those other right. kind of things it's the sort of thing like this this movie like this series seems to have sort of like invented that whole kind of thing like moonlighting i was a big fan of moonlighting back in the day right yeah um and it does seem to kind of fit that same kind of thing where it's like you know we solve crimes and we're like maybe gonna fuck later although here it's like clearly <laughs> they're continually fucking 
and uh you know solving crimes and mm-hmm. i think i mean you know like it would not be difficult to imagine this like a thin man modern day like tv series like yeah i would love to see like a netflix series or a hulu series or something as long as it's like light on its feet in the same way that this one is i don't know that you could get away with this level of alcoholism with this little like commentary <laughs> in the modern era i don't know that you could like literally have you know two 30 to 40 year old people just drinking their way through an entire um, series without somebody kind of going like, maybe we need to rethink this. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, man. I, I think you could, I think you could sell it. Like I, I think you would, you would present it and the audience would be like, fuck yeah, let's go with it. And yeah. the, you know, whatever streaming service or network had it on would be like, and I mean, the way they do series now, it's this, you know, put this on Netflix. Don't put it on like actual cable TV because cable TV, you got to do like 26 episodes a season or whatever bullshit. And that's, that doesn't work for this. Give give me like an eight episode (coughs) season of the thin man. And you put it on Netflix and you get Aubrey Plaza as, uh, as Nora Charles. And uh, who, who the fuck Nick Charles? I I don't know. Um, Oh man. Adam Scott. If you yeah, if you wanted, I mean, that kind of brings a built-in audience to come back and. Sure. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I immediately thought Aubrey Plaza when I was watching. This. Aubrey Plaza. I could I could imagine Aubrey Plaza being that character totally for sure. No, mm-hmm. I I agree with. I don't know that Adam Scott. I I think Adam Scott just because I loved him on uh, Parks and Rec. And he's also great in some other stuff, but like leaning it into that like kind of comedy element, like leaning mm-hmm. in, like do, doing it as a Greg Daniels show or a Michael Schur show, you know, kind of kind of doing that kind of like goofy fun. We're gonna do like mysteries; they're gonna be over in an hour, and uh, you're just gonna sit and have fun. Um, yeah, no, I could totally see that. <laughs> it would be great. Yeah, I, I was thinking that when I was watching. This. So this needs to be redone. Like this needs to be reintroduced to people. at at some point like not that it's not great in its current form and not that it's not really accessible in its current form to to Mm -hmm. modern audiences no you could see this being kind of a big hit you know with audiences now you know i don't like i was watching this and the jokes they fucking land Mm -hmm. it has it it does not feel dated to me in a way that some stuff does from this era like i i was i I was enjoying the, the snappy like i honestly a lot of the snappy dialogue and shit was way ahead of its time. Oh yeah, this is something that you could you could just see like in in movies in the last thirty years or something that a lot of people would be like, "That's so modern." Like, no, this stuff was being written. It, I, I think maybe the I mean I think maybe after the code kind of killed a lot of this shit, honestly, for a while. Um, oh God. Guess who owns MGM? Disney owns MGM. So do it, do it, Disney. Holy fuck! So, yeah. So, di- but they're not the Disney. Disney will not do this properly. <laughs> yeah, will- that's true. Yeah, that's true. Because you know, because they're they're spending the time, uh, you know, censoring the stuff that they put on now uh, from right. their, from their well, old and archives. They've, and they've literally just kind of said like all the like old MGM. Like catalog, like they're not doing anything with that. It's just going in a vault. Like, what a, what a bunch of fuck the most, yeah, of fucking assholes, man. The mouse, we need fuck the mouse. The mouse needs to be destroyed. That's it. Does need to be the destroyed. mouse must be destroyed on sight. That's the answer that we have here. It's precisely because they need to make more thin man shit, and it's not ever going to happen because you know. I watched. I watched the fuck. I watched the fucking Disney Plus version of Splash. Why did you do that to yourself? Because I had to see it to believe it. Yeah. They they that. they put digital fucking hair to cover basically to cover her butthole. Not that you see your butthole in that film, but they they put digital hair in there and obvious digital hair just so she wouldn't show her butt cheeks in that film. Yeah, well and that's and that's the official version that you're going to get for the rest of eternity because Disney owns everything now. That's right. Disney gets to rewrite everything as yeah. far, to their to their fucking uh accord and fuck fuck the mouse. Fuck the mouse. 
we're going to get versions of the Thin Man uh, movies in like 10 years when they go through all this that are just going to digitally erase all of the alcohol and it's just going to be ginger ale and juice. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be like the walkie-talkies in the uh, in E.T. In the E.T. Remake. <laughs> And here we thought George Lucas was bad. For yeah, it turns out we're going to look back on the halcyon days of Flex Spielberg and Lucas <laughs> fucking with their shit. Do you remember? Do you remember when, like, um, the big DVD release for the Indiana Jones trilogy, which at the time was a trilogy? Yeah. And they put, not even in the movie itself, but just on the cover, they put Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. So that, like, on DVD shelves, they would be, like, shelved together instead of Raiders of the Lost Ark being all the way over an R. And, like, the internet lost its fucking shit. Do you remember that? Yeah. All yeah. these fucking nerds, which I'm one of you. We're, like, we do this podcast. We're on episode 217. We're talking about a movie from 1934. We're having a great time. We're nerds about this stuff. Mm-hmm. But, like... That was the level of outrage that you could get over like completely minor things at that point. We're so far beyond that now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the world has just gotten so much worse. Anyway. It has, yeah. Fucking Christ, man. Uh, yeah. Somebody with a lot of money, please. Somebody with a lot of money and the best intentions fucking buy the rights to this from Disney so you can make a series that's good. Yeah. Yeah, and get Aubrey Plaza. I don't care how and much you have get, to pay her. and get us to consult. Exactly. Yeah, but I, I'm not giving any production notes to Aubrey Plaza because she's just so fucking funny on her own. She could. You just improv the shit out of anything. You just go and just just you go and be Janet Snakehole, and it's gonna be fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. No fucking script for Aubrey. She doesn't get a script, gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> She just gets to make up shit, and we just need a good enough actor who can roll with her making up shit and not be, you know, just put off. So we don't have to take eighty takes to get a scene. That's that's right. all we need. It's tempting to say Chris Pratt, who was her mm-hmm. like love interest in Parks and Rec, except he's complete dickhole, and so I don't want to give him any. Like, and he doesn't. Money, he so. doesn't work as. No, he doesn't work no, as his he, character. No. He doesn't work as Nick Charles. Uh, God, I'm trying to think of who would work as Nick Charles. Because he, because Nick Charles isn't. He's not like your square jawed fucking detective character, right? He, no, no, he's, no. He's a little droopy. He's had a lot of drinks. His face is always a little slack. He fits in with the socialite thing, but you know that there's like kind of a you know like a rod of steel in his backbone when there has to be, right? Yeah. So he has to be able to kind of flip between the two like kind of worlds, right? So uh, God damn, if Tom if Tom Hanks was thirty years younger. I, I could yeah. I could see I could see Tom Hanks really working. I mean role. Bruce Willis kind of back in the eighties again the moonlighting thing you know like Although Bruce Willis doing Bruce, his comedy stuff. Yeah, but Bruce Willis is too detectivey though. Like, oh yeah, there's that. That's that's the thing. Like I'm I'm trying to think of someone who does not look like an action hero. Yeah, I'm thinking more like the doughy like Death Becomes Her era, like Bruce Willis, right? Okay. You know? Before he was kind of that like big like action star. I mean, Death Becomes Her is after Die Hard, but like you, you know what I'm saying though, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, kind of before he kind of flit into that like one thing that he does. You know. Oh man, I'm trying to think, but I, I just feel like everyone I'm going to come up with needs to be like de-aged oh, like thirty years. Chris Hemsworth. Okay. I like that. I'm just I'm just thinking of him because he can do Thor. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, he can play the comedy. Shri- play the comedy. Oh, and he's got the accent that you can work into socialite accent. Right, but he can also slim like down. if if you think of him in uh, the Ghostbusters remake, which I liked more than you did. Yeah, but you think of him in that, he can do the broad comedy as well. Yeah. So you know, you kind of get him. You put him in a suit. Get him a you know, little bit less muscles, a little bit more, you know. Oh kinda, no, I'd, you know? I'd put him on a, I'd put him on a vegan diet for like four months before I even start shooting. Right. I'd just be like, you have to have a, a full glass of milk and half of a, and a half pint of whiskey every day. Like that's yeah. your, <laughs> that's your training regimen for this. Because he, he needs to 
like he needs you need to, to have you need to have carbs and booze in you. <laughs> you he, know? he he like because you know if if William Powell like ever undid like his jacket, he'd have mm-hmm. a little bit of a paunch there. So yeah. Chris Hemsworth needs to have a little bit of a paunch. Needs to have a little bit of neck fat, maybe a little little yeah, droop, yeah, yeah. yeah. A, little, a little something, you know. <laughs> but also, you know that man can fuck. That's the exactly. other side of that, right? You know, right? No questions asked. That man can fuck. And Regardless. I mean, yes, that would be that would be the sort of uh, the sort of canonical detail that people would have in the back of their minds. Like it's still Thor. Thor can still fuck. So, right? Yeah. 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 No question. I mean, he might be a, a little bit bigger star than we could afford for our uh, Netflix remake. But, you know, Henry Cavill did The Witch, did The Witcher. So, you know, like, uh, yeah. yeah, I think it's doable. Um, <laughs> We're not really talking about the movie. I don't really have anything more to say. Like, the movie's good. Go see the movie. Brilliant. It's great. You know. I, yeah, that's the thing. I, I was like, I was watching this as like, I'm going to have so much trouble talking about anything There's in this film because it's so it's, brilliant. It's just it's just good, but yeah. it's good in ways that are like it's hard to like I'd have to watch it a bunch, you know, to really kind of dig into the details and kind of pull out the stuff that I that's mm-hmm. really kind of interesting in it. It's just good. Go see it. It's a three dollar rental on Amazon Prime right now or on YouTube. So right, you know, right. Yeah, it's easy. Well, actually, you can't get it on YouTube. I tried to get it on fucking YouTube. Couldn't find it. Uh, oh, I, I, I watched it on YouTube. I watched it on YouTube. You did? Afternoon. I did, yeah. Fuck. How did I fucking finish? miss it then? I don't, I don't know. Did you watch it on YouTube for free? No. I I, I mean, I I just rented it. So Okay. So I, I was looking for it. I could not find it as a rental. Like, I even went there to may like... be There may be a Canada versus U.S. rights uh, issue. Ah, okay. That's probably yeah. it. Because I went to Google Play directly. And it was like listed, but it had no option for me to rent or buy. So okay, yeah, it may be a it may be a a, a rights issue. So I, I don't know, but um, mm. but yeah, no. Uh, in the uh, U.S., it was like a three dollar rental or like an eight ninety nine purchase. And um, I really think I'm just gonna buy the DVD or Blu-ray. Like I think there's a box set that's like forty dollars or something that has them all. Uh, that's I'm way worth. I'm, I'm guessing that's way worth the money. Even if like like our, our, our uh, during the we were doing the comments, like the first three movies are really good. Even then, it's like forty bucks. Sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> Fucking right. Um, no, I didn't check the price. I'm gonna check it right now. Like. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, there's a TV. Right. They did a TV series of this in the fifties. Yes. Yeah. I was gonna get into that. Uh, I'll just also mention. I, I think there's like some good like um, even though even though it's mostly comedy based. Whoa! Like Holy. Okay. So not forty dollars. Oh. Okay. Uh, yeah. It's kind of out of print. Uh, unfortunately, it looks like it's really really expensive to get the. <laughs> it's like two hundred and sixty three dollars <laughs> for the collection. Yeah. Okay. For the collection. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, uh, there there, there is like a there is a single Warner Brothers DVD from 2005 that's probably fairly priced. Yeah, I think you could probably buy the individual ones pretty cheaply. Mm. Um, but it's on iTunes oh. and Amazon Prime as well for fairly cheap. Yeah, I mean it's it's cheap to buy it streaming. It just looks like the uh, the disc set is uh, is yeah is really expensive. So there's a seven disc set on eBay, got $127. Okay, this is this is pricey. That's a 2005 collection. This is this is terrible audio for the listeners. I apologize. <laughs> there's like, oh, there's... I found one. I found the 2010 one for like 30 bucks for. Oh, well, uh, there you go. Yeah, there you go on eBay used. That might be some weird, some weird thing. I don't know. They're mostly like seventy dollars, so it's it's fairly Seven. pricey. But I think you can buy them all. Uh, I think you can buy them all streaming. Um, pretty yeah, cheap, it's it's out there. You you got to fish around a little bit, but it's out there. Yeah. Um, I think there. I, I'll just cap off thoughts of the film. Uh, I think there's some good uh, forensic stuff in here that sort yep. of plays into the case. I like like I said, uh, there's a detail at the beginning of the film that plays into the the end of it. We see the the titular thin man. He has a knee injury. He has shrapnel in his knee from the war, mm-hmm. and that plays into you know identifying the body basically that they find under underneath his shop and shit. So, right. Um, 
I think I think the film does a good job of that. Um, and so just going into that, uh, the thin man in the movie refers to Clyde Wynott <coughs> and not uh, our, you know, our main character, uh, William Powell's character. Uh, right. The Thin Man Goes Home film does refer to the lead character of the series, though. So they, they eventually get to like, oh, no, it's he's the Thin Man and, they, and he's going places, you know, like they did. They, I guess they kind of fucked up. The first couple films, they, like, they just kind of leaned into the like everybody knows him as the Thin Man, so we're just going to uh, call him the Thin Man from now on. You know, like it's fine. Yeah, I like to think that that's like a thing. A bunch of he got like press after this, and then there were like a bunch of douchebags on like the street corners who were like, "Yeah, way to go, Thin Man, solving that <laughs> crime, Thin Man." And it's like you know this thing with like a term of abuse that's like rolled at this guy, you know, like. Go fuck your socialite wife, thin man. He's like, I, I actually will. I actually yeah. will. And drink very nice scotch. Thank you very much. Yeah, uh, William, William Powell's walking down the street. Have another drink, thin man. <laughs> Have another drink I can't afford, you piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, MGM was advised that some dialogue was, quote unquote, censorable. Such as William Powell's line, he didn't come anywhere near my tabloids. <laughs> and and, and Lloyd's line, what's that man doing in my drawers? However, the picture was approved for exhibition in 1934 and granted PCA certificate in August 1935. After the film's release, some territories did censor some lines of dialogue, and at least one theater owner from the South, of course, yep. uh, wrote to the PCA to complain of excessive drinking in the picture. Uh, which his patrons found offensive because yeah, no one drank in the South. Right. Come on. Bitch. No, you, well, you can't only poor people, only poor people, only poor it's, people in the, you got to prevent the poor people. You got to prevent the poor people in the blacks, the blacks. Right. Yeah. From, uh, Fucking seeing alcohol depicted on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, those rich people. It was fine. It was fine. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so this was, if you can, uh, if you can get wasted on really expensive alcohol, you're not an alcoholic. That's that's the thing that I worked in a liquor store for five years. And that's the thing if, that you learn. That's yeah, the thing if, you learn. If, if if you don't have to put a brown paper bag around the bottle, then it's fine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is followed by After the Thin Man in 1936, Another Thin Man in 1939, Shadow of the Thin Man 1941, The Thin Man Goes Home 1944. So it took them like four or five films before they're like, Oh no, this is the Thin Man. It's just, it's just William Powell. He's a thin man. Uh, and Song of the Thin Man in 1947. There's a remake 15 of 15 years later. 15 yeah. years later. Yeah. So no. it ran. And they're ran. still making these. Yeah, no, yeah. But it's not like like the Sherlock Holmes you know, serials where yeah, you know they yeah. did like 12 of those in like three and a half years or something. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I mean, William Powell and Myrna Lawyer are like big fucking stars and they had to put them in right. other movies. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 I mean, it is like, imagine if it's like Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie, who did like six of these over 15 years, back when that was a thing, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that yeah. movie, The Tourist, is a piece of shit. <laughs> I, I'm not saying it's not, I'm just saying like, you know, imagine like Mr. and Mrs. Smith, but like, there were like five sequels, and they loved each other the whole time, and it was clearly... Oh no, you said Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. I'm thinking of Johnny Depp and Angelina Jolie and The Tourist. Yeah, no, no, oh, you, yeah. that's actually a good comparison. Um, yeah. But speaking of Johnny Depp, there was a remake in Development Hell that Johnny <laughs> Depp was trying to produce. And I think Disney probably killed that. Like, they were like, I don't know. I mean, I could see Johnny Depp want to do this, but I don't want to see Johnny Depp do this. Like, I'm sure he... I'm sure he'd be fine, but he's also a terrible human being. So, you know, <laughs> I just don't, uh, I just don't want that. Like, I don't want him to be good. <laughs> yeah. Also, like, I really want this to be done with kind of smaller stars. I want this to be mm-hmm. on a smaller scale. Than yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Like, and so I think that might be one thing that with 80 years of distance, 90 years of distance from this, we can kind of see this as like, oh, it's a fun movie or whatever. But audiences at the time would certainly have seen these as like, these are like giants of the silver screen, you know, kind yeah, of, yeah. you know, like big charming motherfuckers. I mean, this is, you know, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman or, or whoever, you know, kind of doing this. But, you know, so I kind of want it to be a little bit smaller scale. I want it to right. be a little bit more just to, to keep the fun element of it, you know. But. No, I agree with that. 
so as you mentioned, there was a TV series from 1957. It lasted two seasons and 72 episodes between two seasons. What? <laughs> well, it was the 50s. It's like Gunsmoke was doing like 40 episode seasons or something like that and ran for 20 God years. Damn. That's, yeah, like, that's yeah, fucking no. nuts. It was a thing. It was a thing around that time. Yeah, no. And uh, the 1970s. Just think about that. Just whenever you watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood again, just think that that's what like Rick Dalton was doing, mm-hmm. and you realize like, oh right, that's that's why he like completely got tired of doing television. Yeah, no, they they, they, they said he did what like one or two seasons of Bounty Law, so he did like yeah. eighty episodes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, so uh, the 1979 to 1984 ABC series Heart to Heart is basically a take on this concept where it's like, sure. uh, yeah. you know, married detectives, basically. I don't think they were just drunk in the series. It's, it's, it's no, just... no. I mean, I mean, I mean, the idea of like married couples solving crimes and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like it's a it's a, it's a it's a it's a great it's a great concept. I and mean, I think that's the thing that I think we're kind of coming back to is like, you can adapt this in, in a lot of different ways. Right. And kind of like update it to whatever area you're in. Like I was watching this going like, what we need is like an anarchist detective series where it's like an anarchist, <laughs> like, you know, husband and wife doing like mm-hmm. anti shit, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> doing re- like, like helping out people who need it and like fighting like the most awful people in existence they without got, getting paid for it. You know, like that's yeah, they, what we need. You they, know, got, that's, they got that's, the money. They got the money where they can just fight Nazis every episode, you know? Like, exactly, exactly, yeah. yeah. Uh, budget for this was $226,408, and got a box office return of $1.4 million. So yeah. it did pretty good. It did fine, yeah, no. And 226000 for, like, the level of stars that were in this, and, the mm-hmm. you know, like, is that's pretty bare-bones budget, you know, for what Yeah, this is, it really you know? is. Yeah. And the film looks good too. It doesn't look cheap at all. No, it looks great. It looks fun. Yeah. No, no problem. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so what are what are we doing next? I should uh, look at the list. I meant yeah, to do that. Should... That's a new segment on this podcast where we look at the list. Where we look at the list. What are we doing minutes. again? Um, Bride of Frankenstein. Let's do Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah. Yeah, that's thirty-five. Uh, 39 Steps and Mad Love. I don't remember what Mad Love is. but Mad uh, Love is Peter Lorre uh, with uh, crazy fucking uh, goggles and me- mechanical hands and shit. And it's pretty interesting. We might want to stick around 35 for a couple episodes. Sure. Yeah. I mean, 39 Steps is obviously. I, mm-hmm. Yeah. That sounds great, too. Like, so. I, honestly, this should be our next three episodes. It's just. Frankenstein, yeah, 39 just do those steps, three. Yeah, love. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, let's just do Brad Frankenstein next. That'll be a nice uh, uh, change of pace from this one. You know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so we'll do that. And um, so Daniel, where can people find you on the interwebs? I am on Twitter at Daniel Lee Harper. You can find me there. I have. I keep hovering right around six thousand followers. I get to <laughs> six thousand and then drop five and then go up. And I get to about six thousand and two, and then drop ten. And I I don't know what's going on. I think Twitter is just fucking with my head. I just wanted to get up to like six thousand and twenty, just so that I can stop looking at it again. But I am on Twitter at Daniel Lee Harper. And if you feel like creating twenty accounts and following me from all twenty accounts, just to make it so I don't have to look at that number anymore, it would be <laughs> fine with me. I also do a podcast about uh, terrible people, about Nazis and uh, IDW people, intellectual dark web people, uh, called On a Sweet German, where I have spent many, many hours listening to them talk. And I explain all the terrible things that they believe and all the things that they're doing to fuck up our world. And if you want to understand, I, I don't say this lightly, if you want to understand what's going on in the year 2020 in the United States, it would probably help you to listen to that podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I don't like to, I don't like to say that quite that openly, but um, yeah, you should probably be listening to that podcast. To quote a uh, favorite professional wrestler of mine, I don't want to toot my own horn, but toot toot. That's Arn Anderson for you wrestling fans out there. Sure, but, uh, that means nothing to our audience at all. I'm sorry, it means nothing uh, to me. 
But, you know, <laughs> yeah. <when. laughs> uh, uh, I'm sure that was a, I'm sure that was a really great reference that went completely over my head, and I apologize. No, it's, it's 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 fine. It, I'm I'm just such a stupid fucking wrestling nerd that I had to. No, no, it, no. It was creeping out of my pores. Um, to find me and uh, to find the rest of these podcasts and all this other shit, uh, go to tmbdos.podbean.com. All of our links and stuff are there. The fucking outro is going to tell you all that shit. I don't know why I repeat it twice, other than it's like it's good. It's good business to like uh, smash into people's heads something repeatedly. So they'll actually go and do it, but uh, yeah, whatever. Please like and surprise, uh, like and subscribe. It's a uh, it's a call to action. You see, you, mm-hmm. know, you have to you have to really hit that. Really have to hit those pleasure centers and create endorphins in people's brains by asking them to do something. Because we are charming and erudite podcast hosts. And I mean, so, it's always uh, been that way. Um, how you drive engagement. Mm-hmm. Our 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 very small cultivated cult of uh, listeners know that we are the sex juice to their ear vaginas, but um, you could also be part of that uh, cabal of uh, orgasms and come and uh, hang out on our Facebook group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but but until then, until you have been initiated into the cult of Timbados. Uh, We will be back next episode, and uh, thank you, Daniel, and thank you guys for listening. Bye-bye. One early morning, as I was walking, I met a woman and started talking. Went in a tavern to get a few nips. And all I had was a mint tulip. One mint tulip was the cause of it all. I don't remember just how it started, but all I know is we should have bought it. I stole a kiss and then another. I didn't mean to take it for the was the cause of it all Oh, the lights were burning low There in the tavern went through the swinging door Up jumped the father, he said, I saw you win You kissed my daughter, got to wed her right now Oh, face the slaughter I didn't know just what I was doing I had to marry I'll face ruin. I'm in tulip, I'm in tulip, I'm in tulip, I'm in tulip. One in tulip was the cause of it all. Now listen, I don't want to bore you uh, with all my troubles, but uh, from now on uh, I'll be thinking double, and I'll buy her roses. And maybe, maybe tulips. I've got too much trouble from buying tulips. I don't remember just how it started. But all I know is we should have parted. I'm in tulip. 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 Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Site. For further episodes, our Apple Podcasts, Facebook, and YouTube links, please go to tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you. Drive through.